Welcome to Dragon Talk, where Shelly Moo likes to pop and lock. <laughs> Is that what I'm doing? That you, it looks like you're popping and locking over there. I, can you see how coordinated I am? I, I see your face that's making like... <laughs> It's like grimaces and called, smiles. What? This had a different name, breakdancing. This had a different name. Oh, it did? Yeah? I thought it did. What's it called? I don't know. I don't know, but it's I'll a different Google than it. breakdancing. It's yeah. like uh, voguing. You're voguing. Kind Yeah. I'm not really doing anything. Yeah, it was more like a, it's so you think you can dance, dance, dance. God, I wish we had a visual podcast for this reason alone. I am knocking out the moves right You really now. are. I can't wait for you to listen to this and, and hear all of your great dance moves. And reminisce back to what it, How great it, was. it looked like popping and locking. All right. Well, I'm Greg Tito. That was Shelly Mazzanoble doing the dancing. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yep. Uh, we're here to talk about some fun Dungeons & Dragons goings on. We have a wonderful pair of guests coming on uh, from the RPG Academy, Michael Ross and Caleb. He has an awesome last name. Don't I mess know, it up. I know. I know. I wrote it down. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, oh my god, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Shice. Oh, no, I screwed it up. Gillimbardo. Gillimbardo. Ryan knew it. Ryan remembered it. Ryan, you should be the host of this podcast. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> what else do you know over there? All kinds of shit. He knows everything. <laughs> I love that he's like our, uh, 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 what was the name of the stage manager from Regis and Kathy Lee that they always go to? Oh. Yeah. yeah, that's like basically who you are. He can't actually say anything so do back. Do you notice that Kathy Lee comes up again? I know. You are Kathy Lee. I really do Lee. love Regis, though. He's like my favorite. Regis was really good. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a professional, just like me and you are. Exactly. Well, like you. What? God, oh, what was his name? <laughs> I am going to. Oh, it was right there on the tip of my tongue. I'm, Gil. Gil. Gary. Gah. You're right. It's a G. I don't know. We'll All figure right. it out. Anyway. We're going to have to get some callers. To, to, to con- Caller? Caller. Caller. <laughs> Are you there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk to uh, them, uh, and then we're going to do some announcements, then we're going to do a, uh, a lore you should know. Oh, good. Uh, with Mr. Chris Perkins and Matt Cernet, they're going to drop some more lore bombs into our general lore areas. Do you think they'll ever just run out of lore? And we'll no. have to cancel the segment? No, because the Forgotten Realms uh, is full of lore. We have like, only barely scratched the surface. And there's all other D and D worlds to kind of uh, uh, lore scratch. Endless. I'm, I'm, I just coined that term. We're lore scratching. We're like DJs that lore scratch. Anyway, <laughs> you are making up all sorts of words. Storm King's Thunder is an amazing adventure. It features giants. We've been uh, the last few lore you should know is we've been talking about giants and what the factions are doing in Storm King's Thunder. So go check out that. It's coming into stores end of August, early September. Really? It's good. Huge. It's gonna be huge. <laughs> Giant. It's going to be giant. It's going to be giant. It's going to be very big. My hands are very giant. <laughs> we are uh, going to have that, but then Volvo's Guide to Monsters comes up very soon in October. Oh, yeah. What else happens in October? Oh, maybe just an expansion for Betrayal at House on the Hill. What? Widow's Walk. I, October 14th. I feel like Widow's Walk needs to be like a glam rock hit from the 70s. Can we get someone to record that? Probably. Like, Widow's Walk. Oh, we could have a little soundtrack. To all, yeah, for themed for the whole game. Ryan, I'm oh, looking Ryan, at you. Ryan's I'm looking at you, Ryan. He's, he's scratching <laughs> the beats. Oh, I can pop and lock while you do that. Okay. Well, while, while you're popping and locking and he's scratching the beats, we're going to get DJ Chris Perkins and DJ Matt Cernet to lore scratch for us. I'm going to hear them rap. On lore, lore. you should know.
All right. Welcome to Lord You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I have uh, Mr. Matt Cernet and Mr. Curtis Perkins here. Greetings, y'all. Howdy. We are going to talk uh, about little bits of Forgotten Realms lore you should know uh, going into uh, Storm King's Thunder, but also just some interesting tidbits for dungeon masters and players to use around the table. Uh, and today we're going to talk about uh, two factions uh, that are active in the Forgotten Realms, uh, and uh, those are the Zentarum and the Order of the Gauntlet. Uh, first up, let's talk about the Zentarum, the Black Network. Yeah, Matt, do you want to touch on some of the historical high points of this? Sure, yeah. So the Zentarum has a super long history in the setting, and uh, it's very well detailed in a book called The Ruins of Zentral Keep. Uh, interesting sort of wrinkle in that is that there is a Zentarum version of their history there. So you can go to that, that product and you can read the uh, sort of timeline of events according to the Zentarum that is their version of what history is. And why that's really interesting to me personally is that uh, I think there was a in the novels and the products that we did in second and third edition the assumption that because the Zimtarum are the bad guys and that they're evil and they're doing this, that, and this and that that are bad and they did this plan that was bad, that everyone knows the Zimtarum are bad. Everyone mm. knows the Zimtarum are evil, the black, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas if you actually look at what would actually happen in the world, the only people that knew a lot of the events that happened in the timeline of the Zimtarum are the Zimtarum. Mm. And so they're the only ones who are telling other people what happened, what the history of their organization is. And, and then their organization does some really great things. Like the Zentarum are the bulwark at one point in around the Moon Sea against the, the land of Thar and this giant army of ogres that tries to come over the mountains and stuff like that. And they're the ones who stop that giant army of ogres. So, you know, the idea that, like, Zental Keep was just this haven of ultimate evil and, you know, only bad people are, and only Zentarums are, are evil and everything there is bad kind of, I think, propagated itself without really fundamentally having good reason to do so in um, later products. So in the history of the world, the Zentarum has never actually been a super villainous organization overall. They've done some very villainous things. They've conquered various territories. They've, um, they've acted like you know, the mafia and, and that kind of a thing. But they have often had, you know, virtuous members or people who did good things and mm -hmm. things like that. So it's really fascinating. Well, the mafia is actually a, a, a pretty good analogy in our real world because that tradition came from uh, the Sicilian tradition that was used to, you know, when there was no justice anywhere else, they in some ways would impose justice and sometimes there would be evil ones and sometimes they would do good deeds. And it was, you know, that tradition kind of came right. over and, and changed when it came to America. Yeah. And some uh, of the underlying it. values that were positive were, you know, strong ties to family, right. uh, loyalty. Uh, these, these are not inherently evil concepts. No, exactly. Um, yeah, and that's certainly something that we want to sort of reinforce with the current versions of the Zentarum. But before I get to that, I want to get to the idea of why they're called the Zentarum, which if you go back and look at the old lore, is because when Zentalkeep was being formed, it was out in the way, it was just way off in the frontier. Um, it was the first uh, settlement on the north side of the Moon Sea of any kind. And so you have to imagine, you know, somebody goes up there and just puts a dock out and then a couple of buildings pop up. Right, and that's and then it's just in the wilderness up there. Yeah, and they wanted to sort of attract prote protection and more power to their their growing city state, and so they encouraged this wizard named Zent 
to come and live in their city. And so this wizard named Zent does come and live in their city on the condition that he's also made one of the lords of the city mm. among the sort of other 12 lords, 13 lords, I forget. And he shows up and a bunch of the other lords sort of die under mysterious circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then he sets up a temple to Bane and, and then the rest is history, right? <laughs> so, right. Um, he, he eventually is killed and, and so on and so forth. But, but like that's why there's the Zentarum because they basically set up this, uh, Zent was the guy that they honored by naming their group, the, Zent, the secret group that came later that was organized by Manchun um, as, it was named in, in honor of that one wizard before. Okay, so the wizard passed away, and his followers over time uh, ruled the city. Did he end up being yes, the so, de facto ruler? So Zentalkeep basically um, then becomes under the control of. There's first, it's a secret organization that is supporting uh, Manchun's rule. And Manchun is a wizard who, who comes to the the Zent, uh, Zentalkeep, and he has. Um, Let's see, Chess that helps him, who's a sort of a warrior, and then he eventually loops in Fazul, and Fazul is a priest of Bane, who then, with the support of Manchun, outs, outs the other priests of Bane mm -hmm. from the temple, and so then there's this sort of triad of three people that are leading the secret organization that then just becomes the open organization that controls the city. I see. So. Very interesting. And then how did they propagate over the entire, uh, you know, kind of area? Well, so they, in the history of the setting, the Zentral Keep um, is this uh, bastion of civilization, you know, in the north side of the moon, moon Sea, and they are defending, you know, the, the Moon Sea area from Thar and stuff like that. But what Manchun then does is send out lots of agents throughout the world as merchants, and it has a dual purpose. One is to just keep money flowing back into uh, Zentalkeep, because in order to keep his armies going and keep it, you know people fed and everything, they have to just have more and more money flowing back into the city. Mm -hmm. And you can not you can do that either by conquest, basically, or by getting money to get to come to you. So they, they go and send out these, they do both. They try conquest and they, they get. <laughs> <laughs> Why put all your eggs in one basket, right? right? So, and they have these sort of secret organizations that are, are sort of funding funneling money, and, and some of them are protection rackets, and some of them are more legitimate trade, and they establish trade routes. There's a, there's a the, like the Silk Road, there's the, I think it's the Black Road or something like that, Black. across um, Anorak, which is the huge desert that's between uh, the eastern half of the empire, or Faerun and the, the western half, and so mm -hmm. they sort of establish that road, trade that trade route, and um, while he, they're doing that, Manchun's also always on the lookout for any sort of magic that he can seize, that any, that any sort of whisper of that that he can get. And so if he can also, if he can't control someplace through trade, if he can't control it through outright conquest, he's also having the organizations attempt to control the rulers through blackmail and stuff like that. So again, it's about control, 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 control. And Manchun and Fazul and Chess, well, Manchun and Fazul eventually, because Chess gets out of the picture. Um, they're really crazy, and they're they're super trying to sort of have that control. And so, for a long period of Forgotten Realms, they are major villains in tons of novels and tons mm -hmm. of products. Mm -hmm. And then they eventually get kind of cast down and thrown asunder. Zental Keep gets the crap kicked out of it. Yeah, and was that in a uh, uh, a TRPG product? Uh, yes, definitely, and and I think partially tangentially in novels, but mainly in the TRG. Product and then also there's a, there's a period uh, the infamous Manchun Wars, mm. 
mm. uh, which it turns out because uh, Manchun has uh, been making um, dozens, hundreds, who knows, of clones of himself ah. throughout the world. And through some mistake, instead of like one dying off and the next one waking up, they all wake up at the same time. And, and clones, D&D clones don't abide one another. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> so they turn on one another until only one remains. Or so we. Or so, in theory. Yes. <laughs> Over the years, we've seen evidence that a few Manchun clones managed to survive the, the Manchun Wars uh, through various means and are still out in the world, potentially. Oh, now, okay. If you look at the lore, we could, there could be as few as one remaining or some number greater than one. Yes. And are they all awoken, or are they actually also they're could all, be some all, that are sleeping still? Who knows? Interesting. Yeah. All right. So uh, this was the backbone of the of, of the Zentarum in their current incarnation, and that explains a lot of the merchant tradition uh, that we've seen in, in, in products yeah. recently. So who is in charge of the Zentarum now? So uh, the Zentarum in the present day, um, just to clarify, they still do a lot of what they've done over the years. Uh, they're sort of seen as a shadow empire. They're called the Black Network um, for that reason. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're, they're diverse, uh, both in terms of their membership and in terms of their agenda and goals. But basically, uh, it's all for the betterment of the Zentarum and its members. They really serve themselves, ultimately. Right. Uh, and they're not as much based out of Zental Keep anymore. No. It's more it's because that sort of got blown up at least, I think, twice. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> So the organization became like sort of transformed for a while into more of a mercenary organization that's just trying to um, basically provide people with armies to fight their battles and mm -hmm. at the the best armies at the cheapest possible rate, so they can basically push out all the competition. Right, makes sense. And and so um, and then that organization basically, I mean, got sort of scraped together. The there's another figure in, in Zentarum history called uh, the Paragost. The Paragost. And he's the leader of Darkhold, which is this other keep elsewhere. Um, he's a fascinating figure, always appears in armor. He's a lore you should know on his own. Yeah, we'll it, do that yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. But, but basically, uh, what happens is that whenever the Zentarum collapses into ruin, right, the Paragost is still there. And he kind of can come out and be like, nah, come on, guys, get, get it together. <laughs> Listen to me. <laughs> I know what's up. And so, he, well, he's not not always the leader. He's sort of this this constant backbone element that I see. sort of helps I see. preserve the organization. So what's happening uh, with them currently in Storm King's Thunder? So in Storm King's Thunder, they are one of the many factions who are gravely concerned about the rise of the giants mm. and what the giants are up to because their business interests are jeopardized. Right. Uh, anything that the giants might do to destroy a settlement or a town uh, could bring ruin to a great business opportunity and so the Zentarum find themselves in the odd position of being aligned with many of the factions that they might otherwise oppose in some way shape or form uh, including their sort of old adversaries the Harpers uh, so here we get to see the Zentarum acting out of self-interest but also acting for the betterment of the north uh, trying to get to the bottom of what's happening with the Giants who's responsible now, the Zentara might have a different solution to the problem mm. than some of the other factions. Maybe buying off the giants might be an option. Negotiating with the giants would not be out of the ordinary, but first they have to figure out what's going on, and that's really their key agenda. Got it. That makes sense. All right, so moving on to the Order of the Gauntlet. Uh, what can we, you tell us about that, that faction? So of the factions uh, that we've talked about so far, the Harpers, the Zentarum, the Emerald Enclave, the Lord's Alliance, and now the Order of the Gauntlet, this is a fundamentally new faction. 
uh, it, that hadn't existed previously. And it gets its name from the gauntlet, which is the symbol of three faiths in the Forgotten Realms. Yeah, uh, so Helm and uh, um, Torm use sort of different gauntlets representations as the, the symbol of their faiths. One is sort of a, the right open gauntlet, one's the left. And that is the right hand is sort of the the sword arm, uh, and the left hand is the shield arm. Mm -hmm. And so the right hand is uh, the gauntlet of Torm, who is kind of this deity of um, sort of duty and service to others and go out there and, and help people, and, and, and it's an active faith, right? And uh, Helm is a faith of defense and also a neutral faith. Like, you know, the... The thief who wants to protect his stolen gold also prays to Helm mm. to protect his stolen gold. So he's, it's not just a goody two-shoes protection faith. Um, balancing those two is Tyr, who is a god of justice and, and of up, the upholding the law and that kind of a thing. And so the three of those forces kind of when, uh, because Tyr was dead and Helm was dead and Torm was kind of the only thing around, and then the... Um, religions of those two deities uh, reawakened mm. when it, there were signs from the deities that they were still around. And so that kind of grew into s some various places in the north and stuff like that into the Order of the Gauntlet, sort of as the coming together of these three different faiths and these three different ideas. Are they like a martial order or is it more of a, a order of clerics? Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, it's got both. They, they're, uh, so the Order of the Gauntlet isn't, um, it's not like they have big guild houses or any places that they get together. Uh, it's sort of like uh, a loose alliance of like-minded knights and clerics who believe in the idea that when evil does evil things, somebody has to step up and put evil in its place. Mm. Uh, and those, the regardless of the, the gods they worship, they kind of share a fundamental, this fundamental ideology. Uh, that they will rise up and smack down evil when it when it appears uh, and and threatens their faith, threatens their people, threatens their their ideology. Now, uh, it's because it's a new organization and it's sort of come into being very recently. Mm -hmm. uh, they, you might not know of its existence until a knight comes up to you and says, "Hey, I want to join your party, and will you help me kill this evil thing over here?" Right. And then you realize he's calling himself a knight of the, or, of the Order of the Gauntlet, and he's got friends in, in various places that he's contacted before. You kind of feel like you're at the, at the beginning of something big forming. Right. They, they, they sort of draw into association what were separate organizations in the setting previously. So there's like the Knights of Samular that they're trying to cr recruit as mm. of, I think, um, which book was that? Uh, that was in Princes of the Apocalypse. Yeah. Uh, and then there's uh, the Order of the Open-Handed, which is sort of an order of monks in Waterdeep mm. that's uh, dedicated to Tyr. And so they would be sort of drawing these different and distinct organizations together and saying, hey, we have things in common. We should fight for the same things. We're not asking you to necessarily join up, but if we come and knock on your door, are, are you going to come and fight with us? And generally the answer is yes. Got it. And so that's sort of starting to form this organization of the Order of the Gauntlet. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, their their goal in Storm King's Thunder is pretty obvious. They see the giants as a, a serious threat and uh, through their agents are going to try to understand what's going on and uh, take them out. 
and uh, uh, hopefully do so with martial prowess. Yep, wave a few swords around, um, flash a few uh, holy symbols, make the giants uh, wonder why they ever landed in Faerun. Yeah, they just shouldn't end up tanking. Don't don't yeah. try to take a uh, a, a, a assault to the to the shield. Yeah. In Storm King's Thunder, you'll you'll encounter a couple a couple a few knights sort of wandering around in various places. They're sort of these kind of lone wolves trying to do good, understand what's going on. If you get on their good side, they'll help you and you'll help them. And you'll be looking for allies in Storm yep. King's Thunder for All sure. All the allies you can get. Exactly. All right, awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Uh, can't wait to talk about more stuff coming up soon. Groovy. Weep. All right. Uh, so that lore scratching was pretty fun, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Chris Perkins is a great rapper. <laughs> you're not going to cut that out of the podcast. No, are it's you? not. No, and now I have to get him to rap. It's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Matt needs to, you know, a little bit uh, yeah. get his chops up. I feel like if they were in a in a rap battle, oh, a back rap, and forth, rap off. a rap off, yeah, like in as popularized in the popular movie Eight Mile. Uh, right. Uh, I don't know if Matt would be able to but, to win, but Matt would probably be really good at breakdancing. That's true. He's long and. Lean. Yeah, he's got the coordination. I he think, could do the warm. That'll work. So cool. I'm glad you guys got. Let's uh, get him some cardboard. That see. little bit. Of, well, I know, right? With the visual podcast, right? We'll make that happen. Right. Love it. Uh, so now we're going to talk to uh, uh, Michael and Caleb from the RPG Academy, uh, a podcast that's all about wonderful Dungeons and Dragons stuff. In addition to dropping great DM tips. Yes. Hello. Hello. Hey, Greg. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing? Not too bad. I'm still recovering from Gen Con, but, uh, but otherwise I'm okay. Yes. Can't wait to hear about that. <laughs> All right. So welcome uh, to Dragon Talk, you guys. Uh, we have uh, Caleb Gillombardo and Michael Ross from the RPG Academy. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. No worries. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. This is a blast. Are you, uh, so, so Michael, you, you mentioned that you're not quite recovered from Gen Con yet. No, not quite. I'm I'm on the upswing, but it's it's a long climb, I think. What's your recovery, uh, you know, strategy? Do you do lots of uh, deep cleanses? Uh, <laughs> try to drink as many beers as possible to. to... No, it, it involves sleep, and then <laughs> oh, that sounds more amazing. sleep, and then finally some sleep. <laughs> in between, okay. in in between a nap. Yes, exactly. Originally, um, I had planned on taking today off on for another vacation day for recovery. And from a long series of almost comical mishaps, I ended up using all of my vacation prior to Gen Con. So I had none <laughs> oh, left, and no. I wasn't able to do that. Oh, my gosh. So you actually had to work today. That's no good. No bueno. Yeah. Well, at no. least you, were, you had some games to think about uh, during that, the day. That is true. What about you, Caleb? Did you make it to uh, Indianapolis? Unfortunately, no, I was not at Gen Con this year, so I am well-rested and quite happy. <laughs> nice. Well, Hydrated, well-rested, feet I don't feel hurt. awesome. Let's I know. just say that. Good, good. All right, so maybe we should start with you then. But first, I do want to well, – I know Shelly wants to pick your brain about some betrayal stuff. But, uh, Michael, I wasn't at Gen Con, and neither was Shelly, and yeah. neither was uh, Ryan, our sound engineer. So, yeah. And I'm not even well-rested. And uh, so. Jeremy Crawford, who was here from uh, the D&D team, he was at Gen Con. But he's not yet been in the office because he was smart, and he has a, a vacation yeah, he day. he didn't use all his vacation time. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, sure. let us know what it, what it found, felt like on the ground at, uh, at Gen Con. We'll, we'll probably be hearing this a few weeks afterwards. But uh, it's always good to hear what uh, what's going on. 
Gen Con is amazing. And, you know, I assume talking to this audience, many of you probably know that. But if you've never been, it, it was literally a life changing event for me the first time I went. This was my fourth Gen Con, fourth in a row. Never been to Gen Con or any con really previously to that four years ago. Oh, wow. And it's just, it is just an amazing time. It is, it is your people everywhere you look. I mean, it's just like, you know, kid in a candy store. It's like the Disney world for gamers. Everywhere you go, there are people that are gaming and just having fun. And again, it's just, just the greatest place on earth for four days. And or actually, I guess five since I went on Wednesday. Nice. Uh, but it is nonstop. What was different about the 2016 Gen Con uh, uh, from, the, from the previous three years? Well, for me specifically, it was that I'm, I'm, I've been there now long enough. I'm starting to change the way I schedule. I'm no longer really doing a lot of events that are scheduled. I'm more meeting with people. I have like Gen Con friends, people mm. that I only see at Gen Con. So I only played in one actual scheduled event. Everything else was just meeting up with people from social media or from other podcasts or blogs and, and kind of hanging out and gaming together. I did get to do a panel this year or in a panel for the podcast and our network, which was awesome. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was just a lot more sort of social stuff rather than going to a game and then going to a different game. Very cool. Did you see any, like, fun products? Anything that uh, stuck, stuck out for you? I, I'm on record. I love the legendary deck builder game. Mm. I also love Big Trouble in Little China, and I love Firefly. So, not surprisingly, I picked up the legendary version of Big Trouble in Little China and Firefly. So, I, I spent more, almost more money on sleeves than I did on the games because I also have OCD issues. Uh, so when I got home yesterday, even though I was exhausted, I spent several hours sleeving all my cards so that I can now play them. Interesting. Uh-huh. You're a That's sleever. a nice way to unwind, though. Yeah. Meditative. Well, watching the Olympics or something? Yeah. Yeah. Just sleeving away. <laughs> different, sleeving away. Different than slaving and or uh, uh, reaving. Yeah. Did you get the Firefly reference there? We'll be sure. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Very wow. cool. All right, so did you get to play any uh, uh, RPGs while you were there? Uh, just a couple. I uh, I played in a Savage Worlds game of Goonies meets Ghostbusters, <gasps> which, I, again, I could not pass that up. No. That was the only actual event I played in uh, that was like an, a scheduled event. I ran a Scooby-Doo Dread game that <laughs> ended with, with Velma shooting Fred with a crossbow. You know, L- like I, you do. I watch a lot of Scooby-Doo these days because I have a three-year-old. I would love to shoot Fred with a crossbow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he is <laughs> dumb was, as a box of rocks. He really is. Yeah, it was very, very satisfying. Uh, and <laughs> then, I, and then I actually, I had a, a friend of the show, someone who listens to our show, wanted to play in a game with me. And so on Sunday, we kind of found a place, and he ran a game for him, his two kids, and like his nephew. So it was uh, that was really, sadly the only D and D I got to play. But I mean, I'm on record. D and D is my favorite game across the board. Always has been, <laughs> always will be. But when I go to Gen Con, I try to play other games because I don't have a lot of opportunity otherwise. Uh, so that was the only actual 5e that I played while I was there. But it was awesome. That's good. Very cool. Cool. Well, I can't wait to hear more uh, uh, about Gen Con. And hopefully I'll get to go back someday. I went from like 2007 to 2012. I feel like I didn't miss any yeah. there. And then yeah, I haven't I been back since then. Run, yeah. It's weird. I don't think I went last year. No. So I think it's been two years that I haven't gone. Weird. Yeah, we gotta go back together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. We'll have a podcast. There. Live podcast. Yeah, we'll invite you guys. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so Caleb, I know you were probably pretty sad and attending, you know, Jen Cant uh, all all weekend. <laughs> uh, very true. Very true. I uh, was scrolling through social media uh, until my phone stopped working due to the tears that were pouring down upon <laughs> it. 
So was there any news out of uh, uh, you know the uh, RPG community or the gaming community that you latched onto from this weekend? I was pretty excited about the Star Trek RPG beta mm-hmm. or whatever is actually going on with that. I need to catch up on that news. Um, I heard rumors about a Big Trouble in Little China board game that is coming out soon, which is very exciting. Um, hmm. There wasn't anything else that really jumped out at me from what I saw. Most of the people I follow were just socializing and hanging out with friends and family, and that's my favorite part about the game hobby. So just seeing all these people share these brief moments of, hey, I met up with so-and-so, here's a picture. Hey, look, here's my character sheet. And just seeing those little tidbits of their enjoyment made me really happy. I I love that part of it. So that was cool. I agree. I think that's my favorite part of, well, since I'm not there, (laughs) my favorite part. (laughs) Agreed. My favorite part is like just watching the amazing connections. And, you know, I, I, I think this year... Uh, it, the funnest one for me that I saw that happened at Gen Con was uh, a guy I knew when I was in North Carolina, um, uh, Richard Dansky, who writes all the oh, Tom yeah. Clancy novels and also works, you know, uh, doing some stuff for White Wolf and and uh, uh, he's he's editing uh, some RPG books now. I forget which uh, which uh, uh, company he's working for him right now, but he does, you know, he's in the video game world. But we he and I would always geek out about uh, stuff when we were in North Carolina. But then he met up with Robin Hobb, who was one of my favorite fantasy authors. Uh, and I had no idea she was going to be attending Gen Con, and I was very excited to see the two of them. And I was like, oh, worlds colliding. I don't I don't know Robin, but I'd love to meet her at some time. But it was this nice kind of uh, amazing connection that could only happen at a place like Gen Con. Have, uh, have you guys played Cardline before? Are you familiar with that game? No. No. Uh, it's a like a kind of family-friendly game where you have uh, just a bunch of different animals. And there's like there's all kinds of versions of it now, but the, the first one was about animals, I think. And they have the different facts on them, like how much they weigh, how long they live, what their habitats are, that kind of thing. And the object of the game is you have to know a lot about animals. Like I'd lay an elephant down and say, okay, I think this lives longer than a fish. <laughs> and then you put a card and you have to decide if it li- lives shorter than a fish, more than a fish, or more, more than an elephant. You kind of have to put them in the correct place. Uh, but uh, one of my friends came up with a different version where we, w- we played it as which would make the better wizards familiar. <laughs> and then you had to argue and state your case and, and get everyone to consent if you were correct or not to continue. So that was fun. That is awesome. That sounds really cool. Uh, so we, we uh, kind of skipped over more talking about what you guys do on the RPG Academy to talk about Gen Con, which is, you know, understandable. But uh, why don't you guys, uh, for listeners who may not be familiar with your podcast, um, uh, let them know what you guys are all about. All right, Caleb, you want to take that? I don't feel I have the authority to speak about <laughs> the nature of the RPG Academy since I didn't create it. So I will uh, cede the floor to Michael until he says something boneheaded, and then I can step in and fix it. Like a very good wizard's that, apprentice. That's exactly how Tito and I, our relationship. <laughs> it's exactly true, except I, right. I just talk over it. But he never... <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Michael. Let, let, <laughs> Caleb is giving you the floor. All right, excellent. So, yo, so we are the RPG Academy. We've been podcasting for almost four years now, really close to that. Uh, we do a bunch of different show top types and topics, Uh, Primarily the ones where we give advice and try to help people become GMs or become better at it is called faculty meetings. There's an asterisk on there because they've only been called that very recently uh, because of things that we don't have to get into here, but it's interesting. Um, 
And then we have a bunch of different types of actual plays. So we have like campaigns that are our long form uh, continuing story. We have one shots called field trips because we really try to lean into that academy theme as best as we could. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one of my favorite things we do is called a trial, which doesn't fit the theme, but you know, you can't be perfect, right? Uh, and it's that a is test, we try right? To... It's like a test. <laughs> it's like your exam. There you go. Uh, this is where we try a game we've never played before. So either something we just have not personally experienced or maybe might be brand new or sometimes even in development. We've done several Kickstarters in the, in the minute uh, that they're coming out. Uh, in those, we try to highlight the rules and setting more than we normally would in like a one-shot field trip thing where we're just kind of being goofy and having fun. Uh, we do show and tells, which is where we uh, have guests on and we talk about what they're working on. Right now, that mostly means Kickstarters. And then we, um, we have movie days, which are very rare, but we do actually review some RPG-related movies. And then we just started a brand-new show topic or type that Caleb's running is called Detention. And basically, <laughs> that's just where we have people. This is more of a sort of just general hanging out, uh, you know, the personalities of the podcast talking to each other. And um, we'll probably have another one before the end of the week because we do that kind of thing. We just keep putting out content as quickly as we can. Nice. So I, I imagine the detentions are a lot like, uh, uh, you know, little short snippets of Breakfast Club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit more montage heavy. We can say that. Yeah. Uh, are, you, are, you the, are you the Bender character, Caleb? <laughs> um, I, I do tend to leave the show with one hand up in the air held high. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Uh, yeah, detention is just a way for us to kind of cut loose. I, I came up with the idea because everything we do is kind of formatted and I wanted something where we can just have a chance to talk and connect with the audience. We've had really good feedback so far. We do uh, three segments. We do extra extra curricular where we can just chat about what's going on outside of gaming, outside of the network. We do something called dead campaigns where we share a campaign that ended for – whatever reason yeah usually usually very dramatic reason i'm sure usually yes we haven't had any of those big dramatic moments yet but it's a way to not only share great ideas and give inspiration to people but talk about why campaigns end so we can kind of learn from past mistakes and then we do something called class review where we right now are picking apart a certain class we talk about what its roots are, what it means to play that class, what the stereotypes and archetypes are, how to find that class in other games, that kind of thing. So it's very free form. It's very chatty. Uh, We tend to leave in a lot more of the tangents and bad jokes that we edit out of the other shows. So it's a good place to have a lot more fun. What? You edit out the bad jokes? Is that something you can do? Ryan, uh, we could do a whole real. We can do that. We would have. We wouldn't have a podcast. <laughs> I mean, I can't speak to you guys and your your editor. I don't know what he's doing, but yeah, he's leaving all the bad jokes in. Ah, uh, yeah. okay. Got, renegotiate that contract. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. right. Making us look bad. Very cool. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's been an entertaining uh, podcast for me to listen to. I love uh, I love you guys are really nailing into that theme of the uh, the academy. It's pretty. Yeah, you know, it's I love really every cool. one of the. We need we need that like that help with segment naming. That's really good. I know. They kind of nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> right, so I mean, we, we are available as consultants. I'm sure we can negotiate that off podcast. Nice. Podcast consultants. I like that. So I think it might have been in, it actually might have been in the email exchange. That, was it Michael that you, was emailing? Yes. Greg? Okay. Yes. You were talking about tips for dungeon masters. Or maybe I read it on your website. 
But you had some really good ideas in there. Uh, I have a couple different depending on where you're starting. But one of the first things I would tell someone is to talk less than you think you should. And this usually gets a chuckle from Caleb because I never let him talk. Okay. Yeah, because I feel like um, I've said before, the, 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 role, the role of the GM is like the, cir- the ringmaster of the circus. You show up, you introduce everybody, and then you fade into the background until the scenery needs reset. So if you are spending too much time setting the scene, your players are waiting for their opportunity to do things. And then beyond that, if you really want a game that has a lot of role play to it between the characters and not just between the players and the DM, you need to just be quiet and not just go from scene to scene to scene to scene. Sometimes just sit there, you know, until the silence gets a little, maybe a little longer than it should. And that's when you're going to have player A and player B start to talk to each other. And hopefully it's in character. And then they can just start having conversations that really don't relate to you. And you can just enjoy them role playing their character. And then eventually it'll start to die down. And then that's when you step back in like the ringmaster and you say, okay, here's the next scene. You set the stage and then you be quiet again. Nice. Yeah, I like that. That's a good piece mm-hmm. of advice. Yeah. Uh, and also, it encourages the DM to listen as well, so that when you're silent or waiting, you know, let the let the players fill the time by by talking. And hopefully, yeah, you're right. That is in character. Uh, so that they, you know, they're working on their relationships and and what they all mean to each other and what their common goals are. And they'll usually tell you what they're interested in. Whether it's in character or not, if they start talking about an NPC that maybe in your mind was a throwaway NPC, mm-hmm. but they just have latched onto <laughs> that NPC, well, now make them more important. Make them have a, a different role in the story. If uh, if you're working on a murder mystery and you think you know who did it, but you're not exactly sure yet, because I, I do very little prep in my games, and <laughs> they start talking about how they it has to be this person, yeah, maybe it was that person. You know, There's no harm in changing the story to let the players be successful. And it makes them feel good that they solved the mystery. You never have to tell them that, well, it actually wasn't going to be that person, but now it is. You tell them, you tell them after the game, right? You're like, by the way, oh, it was supposed to be this dude, but you guys totally you nailed it. You the wrong guy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> then that's a whole other adventure. There you go. Yeah. You sent an innocent man to jail. Yeah. They were accused of a crime they didn't commit. That's why you need the I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. <laughs> Uh, cool. Well, one uh, one thing we always like to ask uh, people is uh, how they got started. So, Caleb, what was your uh, you know your first experience playing Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, what what hooked you into it? Oh, this is not as good a story as I would hope to share, Greg. But we can make one uh, up if you want. <laughs> hmm. Let's see. No, I'll go with the real one. Let's, okay. let's, let's be real here. Um, so. My first experience with Dungeons and Dragons was actually a form of childhood rebellion. Nice. <laughs> uh, I started playing D&D in college, and when I was growing up, I grew up in a uh, very religious environment. I was actually homeschooled. Not that those two are related. They're just different facts that Some, go sometimes together. Sometimes they are. Sometimes, sometimes <laughs> more, more often than not, they are related. Yes. Um, but as I was growing up, I knew about Dungeons and Dragons. I knew about the gaming hobby, it was just something that was never permitted or never allowed. And I wasn't curious enough to go search it out. But when I got into college and I was living on my own and I was able to expand my worldview a little bit, I said, yeah, let's let's dig into this. So I met up with a group of old friends who had been playing for years and years. They welcomed me into the hobby. They taught me everything. And uh, from that point forward, I, I've been hooked. 
That's awesome. We have actually a pretty similar background uh, there. I, I think I've told the story on the podcast a few times, but yeah, I eventually was like, yeah, I'm an adult. I can make I can my own play. choices and play Dungeons and Dragons and uh, did the same thing. So that's very cool. I'd like to have a, a kindred rebellious spirit playing the game. <laughs> It, it's it's always funny to to hear people say, "Oh, what what did you do to rebel?" Oh, I was out. I was drinking. I was doing this. I was doing that. I was you know doing all these typical TV rebellious tropes. And I'm like, um, I went and sat in my friend's basement and I, I read this book about <laughs> yeah, right. wizards and dragons and yeah. I pretended I to be to my one. Friends. I used my imagination. I developed social skills. Right. Really. <laughs> to rebel against kid. you guys. I'm a bad kid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I earned my leather jacket and rolled up t-shirt sleeves, but I, I feel like I'm there. Me too, man. Uh, in, in, my, in my head, that's what you're wearing right now. Totally oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's why the camera's off. Yep. So It's totally right. So badass and Fonz-like. <laughs> yep, smoking a cigarette right now. <laughs> I, 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 just hit the, I just hit the monster manual. It spits out the monster I want. It's, it's flawed. <laughs> <laughs> I get the Fonz hey. joke. Hey. hey. So what about you, Michael? What was your uh, uh, D&D origin story? I kind of fell into it. I was uh, I was around, I'm going to say 12, but I, my wife makes fun of me because everything that didn't happen today happened around when I was 12. Like, I have that time of memory. So sometime around 12 years old, I went to a bookstore. I'm from a very small rural town in Kentucky. We didn't have a bookstore in our town. We had to drive to another town. And uh, it was my best friend uh, who said, you know, hey, I want to buy this red box of Dungeons & Dragons. I had no idea what it was. But he's like, I don't have enough money. Will you, you know, will you split it with me? And I'm like, sure. I don't, yeah, all right. So we bought the red box together and we were actually in the way home. His mom was driving. We were in the back seat. He starts going through the box and he just hands me the GM screen and I'm still DMing 28 years later. Wow. That's so amazing that it was just like the luck of the draw. You're like, here you go. Here's this. Yep. You're See, in. If he didn't and, I, I, and I don't know if he did that on purpose. I don't know if he was smart enough, like he knew that it was the GM book or if it was the first one or if it was the second. He had taken the first one. All I know is I got the GM book out in the back of the car and I've been playing ever since and I just absolutely love it. The baton was handed to you and you ran yep. with it. You knew your calling. That's pretty awesome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're teaching other people how to, to find them. their calling. As a yeah, it's, it's one of my, my favorite things to do. Very cool. So are you, uh, are you running a campaign right now? Uh, uh, yes. I, uh, we play a couple of times a week. Caleb is running our primary podcasty game. Mm -hmm. uh, we just started a few months ago. It's called Rot Iron. It's a kind of a dwarf-centric campaign where the world has been flooded, kind of like Waterworld. So rather than the dwarves living in the under mountains, they're actually forced to the tops of the mountains. They're now like this chain of islands. Um, and we have we have an online group that play that myself because again, Kelma and I actually live several hours apart, mm -hmm. so all of that is like over the internet top recording. And then I run a home game for my in in real life group called Dark Discovery, uh, which is a homebrew five E world where the elves are ruling the entire world with you know like tyrannical. Uh, Tyrants, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's redundant. Uh, but it's got it is more like an action TV show. When I when I remember that game, it, it it should sort of feel like you're watching an action TV show. We even do like scene movements. So we'll do title cards, and we'll you know almost do like a commercial break. We'll cut at certain points, and then come back a couple minutes later from a different angle. Uh, kind of almost experimentally the way I'm doing it. But so far, it's it's coming out really well, and I really like it. Wow, that's really interesting. I'd love to. Yeah, how do you? How do you uh, uh, announce that that is happening? Is it just part of the DM thing? You're like, okay, commercial break, or do you just you disguise it a little bit more? 
We, I mean, it doesn't. I don't quite say like commercial break, but we'll do like almost like a cold open. Mm-hmm. Um, there was actually one of the very first things that happens is like basically as the DM, I said, okay, there's a title card at the bottom that says um, one week from now or something. I can't remember exactly how I did it, yeah. but there was like a there's like a 15 minute scene where the players didn't know what was happening. Like I basically said, okay, you and you are in a hallway, and this is what's going on. And we kind of ran through like a 15 minute, 20 minute scene and then it ended. And then we picked up, you know, a week earlier and led back up to that. But they didn't know what they were doing at the time. Uh, you know, they they cool. improved it. And then I had to manipulate things and try to get them to it so that it made sense when we caught back up a week later. And then did they know it was coming? They'd be like, oh, this is what happened in that first scene. They finally, I mean, near the end, they finally caught on. But that opening scene, they were all like, what's going on? Well, how did we get here? I'm like, just, just, just go with it. <laughs> and that's what we cut out podcast. I was like, just, just improv, you know, because I'm, I'm really focusing on trying to get away from prepping. I, I feel like improving gym is easier for me because I don't have a lot of time anyway. And I, I just, it's almost like a challenge to myself. Like, could I do this? And I may not be able to do it again, but I'll say I think it worked out really well this particular time. Yeah. I feel like you would need to have buy-in from the players to really kind of, you know, drive that kind of high concept thing home. But it sounds like it worked. It, it, I'm very, very happy with how it, how it turned out so far. Cool. Um, all right. So uh, I know one thing we wanted to talk about was uh, uh, Caleb's love of betrayal at House on the Hill. Yeah. One of the best board games ever. That's- what? That's not even coaching for me. That's not even coaching. That you didn't even say. I, I well, maybe totally I telegraphed legit. it a little bit by saying the love, but why? Why do you think it's the best one of the best board games ever? Um, two reasons. One, from a purely conceptual standpoint, the the game is very engaging. That classic haunted house trope is embodied and portrayed so well in the board game. Uh, all the different rooms that you can find, all the different items and events and haunts that pop up, it, it just really makes it feel like you are in the middle of a classic 80s, early 90s haunted house slasher flick kind of movie. Mm. And uh, secondly, it's the pure simplicity of the mechanics. Um we recently played this game with a few friends that came up for my wife's birthday. I had played it several times before. They had played it several times before. My wife had never played it. We sat down, set everything up. We didn't even take the time to try to read through the rules. We just started playing the game, and she picked up over the course of a couple turns. The rules nice. are so simple, so intuitive but they allow a lot of complexity once you've mastered them. Yeah. But they're very accessible to someone who only knows the basics of what it means to play a board game that's not sorry or Monopoly. <laughs> if, you, if you understand a little bit more about what it takes to play a deeper board game, you don't have to sit there and read a rule book and struggle over how to do what in what turn. It's all right there. It's all really simple. And then within a couple turns, you're figuring out the deeper tactical aspects of the game. Okay, you spend your movement. You go over here. I'm going to search over here. And, and it's really fun. And, and the haunts. The haunts are obviously the best part. With, with any board game, 
you pretty much know what's going to happen anytime you pick it up. You always have your favorites, but it always goes the same way. With this game, even still playing the original set, there are still haunts I haven't done. So I always still have that excitement of maybe it's going to come up this time. <laughs> so it's always a blast to open up Betrayal because even though there's a lot of familiarity, there's always something unexpected. And that right there embodies that haunted house trope perfectly. So they get you coming and going. It's true. Well done. Excellent explanation. <laughs> and as you know, we have an expansion coming in October. I am thrilled. I am super, okay, super excited. Yes, me too. There's 50 new haunts. So that yeah. like, uncertainty of not knowing what's going to happen next is going to be even more yeah. so. Talk about more replayability. We're giving you 50 more in the 20, 20 new rooms, including the oh, roof. Geez. Oh, man. 30 new cards, some new items, events, and omens. It's just a lot of surprises in there. There's even a couple of really big things we haven't even mentioned I'm, yet. Like what? I can't tell you. Oh, damn it. Oh, come on. But Caleb please. really likes the game. Did you hear that, no. like, expounded, like, explanation of how great it was? We won't. Uh, this won't go out on the podcast, Shelly. We'll, we'll cut we'll this part it, out. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan, cut okay, this out. Okay, I'll tell you. She's just going to tell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> it has it's to all, do it's all with the, the like name a of the big expansion. Reaction, like, we just learned something crazy. Yeah. You got, oh, my God. There's. What, oh, my God. Did you just hear what? that? What? Seriously. No. Don't, I promise you won't tell anybody. Did you just say that? Did I just say, I That's amazing. Well, one thing we did talk about at PAX East is there's a bathroom finally. Yes, and a laundry room. And a laundry room. Because no one a, knew because a woman works on the game now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> finally, they had and to there's put curtains a... on all the windows. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, there was never a bathroom before. Like, where did people pee in the haunted house? In a haunted house. Like, if ever you need a bathroom, I it know. is in a haunted house. Those two kids, those two kid characters, I mean, you, you knew they had to go. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. At the most inopportune I mean, time. the side of the bridge. That's what I always thought. Well, or down the chasm or the... Yeah. The, uh, what's the chute? Is it just called the chute? What's the coal chute? The, yeah, the yeah. coal chute. The mystic elevator? You pee anywhere. <laughs> you gotta go. Basically. You gotta go. <laughs> that's what makes the house so spooky. And that's like adds <laughs> another level of so terror good. in there. Never you're, know what you're, you're going go. to run right. into. Right. You never know. It's not going to be a bathroom, but it is now. So you have to get the expansion just to get the bathroom. Yeah. A lot of special that's, things happen in the bathroom. Yeah. That's good enough reason for me. Yep. I'm, I'm buying it on day okay. one. Sold. Awesome. There's one copy down. <laughs> <laughs> 75 Job to go. completed excellent yeah, we, yeah. we're excited we're, I know, actually I think we're going to have an episode coming up soon where we'll talk more in depth about more of the haunts that are coming up with, uh, with Mike Selinker which will be great yeah yeah yeah. very exciting yeah cool so did you guys have any uh, any questions you always wanted to ask us Greg Tito uh, well Shelly more oh probably yeah I know you've written like books I, I don't have any books you have a screenplay well yeah but you have like actual published books. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're an expert. I actually had some questions for these guys. Okay. I think you were talking about all of the different um, segments that you guys do on your show and everything. And you have, you mentioned that you talk about like RPG themed movies, books, shows. And, like what are the best that are out there? So what are the best that are out there? Tell me the best. Best yeah. RPG themed movies. This is research we need. Yeah. 
So again, we haven't done a lot of those yet. We we did all three of the officially licensed D and D movies, mm-hmm. uh, which it sounds like there might be a fourth coming out soon. There is, um, and then, or at least I guess it's in development. Movies take a long time. I don't know if "soon" is the right word. Yeah, and, it's true. Yeah, and then we just recently switched to the "In the Name of the King" series, which surprisingly there are also three of those. Uh, we managed to get through the second one, and we needed like a break. Uh, after the third of those, we're actually going to switch over to Big Trouble in Little China because I feel like that it's not necessarily D and D, but it's certainly RPG themed. I mean, you could that is a, an RPG session, probably of like feng shui or something. It's like crazy action <laughs> RPG. Um, one of the things that we really strive for in our show is positivity. If there's something we don't like, we just don't talk about it. Yeah. Movie Days is the exception to that rule uh, because a lot of those movies aren't very good. Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to talk about uh, 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 you know uh, like if you're trying to do a critical analysis of a film and just be like these are all the things that are good and that you know the things we don't we're not talking about those are the things we don't like. <laughs> right. true and you know and there are certainly moments within them and and I think we do we show a little bit of love because again we, you know we live this stuff obviously we we have a podcast dedicated to role playing games and and originally we actually were called the D&D Academy for like the first year mm-hmm. uh, because that's all we were talking about because that's really all I had played and then we just wanted to be a little bit more inclusive because there were people some of the advice I think we share isn't necessarily related directly to D&D. It's just role-playing games in general. And it just felt like it was more inclusive and we thought it was time for a kind of a rebranding. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've been playing D&D pretty much my whole life. I love it. Uh, so even when the movies are bad, there's things about it that I enjoy. But overall, we're probably critiquing and picking on and trying to go, in some cases, for laughs over the movies more than, than much, most else. But in current times, and I'm sure you guys already talked about it, Stranger Things. Did yeah. you guys watch that? It's so I'm good. I'm oh halfway God. through it. I haven't finished it yet. Oh, you, I only I mean, watch it on like, treadmill. Okay. Well, you need to do more treadmill because it's awesome. I know. You, you got to get into the conversation. I am getting in really good shape. I was on there for a long time today. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely just adored that from the first five minutes. I mean, I was probably around that same age uh, when that show was set. I, my, you know, my name was Michael, so I connected instantly to the first character. Oh, yeah. I was the DM. I mean, I was like, other than all the crazy cool stuff, that could have been me, you know, my friends in my basement playing uh, D&D. So I just instantly had a connection to that show and I absolutely just adored it top to bottom. I you had the so de- genuine, those, those guys, the kids playing, not being an 11-year-old boy ever that played D&D, <laughs> but I could, I was like, I bet, I bet so many people are watching this right now going, that was me. <laughs> that was me. And then, uh, you know, I've had a few people online talk about the, the having the rules wrong. But I'm like, no one played by the rules when oh, they yeah. were that age. Oh, yeah. We didn't understand them. No one knew how that worked. So I actually think it was an intentional choice to have them play the rules incorrectly. Well, I don't even know if there was, I mean, it didn't seem like a very rules heavy uh, bit, you know, like they they were just talking more in general about like what their, you know, experiences and adventures were, you know? Yeah, I think what I'm hearing is like, because they didn't roll initiative, like the the Demogorgon showed up and then they cast a fireball and then, and I don't remember, because again, it's been a long time, but apparently I guess you don't roll... For a fireball in that edition, they, the Demi Gorgon should have rolled a save. I guess I don't know, but just people were saying that the rules weren't oh, accurate. Yeah. No one, no one played them by the, the right yeah. way back then. That's true. That was That's true. Because and then a lot of it was because there weren't podcasts, there weren't uh, uh, you know live play sessions. People weren't able to watch Greg people Keita play. I wasn't on Twitter. I wasn't to on Twitter. Your questions. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember reading, I mean, similar to, uh, to, to Caleb's story, I just remember reading those books kind of surreptitiously in the library 
not knowing at all how to play or how it would even work. I love that but you still did it. In my brain, I was like, oh, this is so cool. I really love it. But, you know, if I actually tried to sit down and play that when I was at that age, I would have no idea. No, no idea at all. Yeah. No. And you no. just kind of made it up as you went. And it was more about the camaraderie with the kids, and they totally nailed that part of, uh, of Stranger Things. So this article that yep. I keep telling Tito to read, um, but with the props master, she was talking about how she was in search of, of the authentic D&D materials because they really wanted that scene to feel genuine. And they were, she went and you know, had a hard time tracking down the actual lead minis but they insisted upon using them because of the sound. The sound is very distinct and different when the kids play with them, when they fall over, when they put them down on the table. Mm. And then she also went on to say that they had to teach the kids how to use a lot of the props from the 80s, like a rotary phone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> They're like, what, is, what do we do? How do we, how do we talk to someone on this thing? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. You, we gotta, totally spin the dial? Yes. Yeah. It's a relic from the 80s. That was my favorite part, I think, was Winona Ryder trying to, like, nervously use the yes. telephone. The sound of it, yeah. yes. I, all of it. Exactly. It'd be like handing me, like, a loom and asking me to, like, <laughs> right. know, make something. I, I have no idea. Here. Yeah. Uh, here's a uh, abacus. Do some adding. Yeah, that's like, very what? cool. <laughs> I don't, you move the things back and forth. <laughs> okay. How do you use an abacus? Do you know? No, I don't know. I don't know. Ryan probably knows. Yeah. Ryan, do you use an abacus? <laughs> Shake, he's shaking his head. So yeah, that's we've been uh, uh, totally binge. Uh, I, I watched it like in a, a weekend uh, here. Everybody in the D and D team just keeps talking about how uh, amazing it was. Uh, not only, I mean, my favorite part about it is not only like the D and D like specific stuff, but how it was so integral to the plot. You know, yeah. like, and how, you know, yes. what's happening is a very D&D-like story. It's good stuff. Agree. Yeah, really, really good. So anyone who's listening to this who has not watched it, you need to watch it. Treadmill it. or otherwise. Do it. And if, <laughs> Get on your treadmill. And it's if, good motivation to exercise. If anybody has any good contact information for the Duffer Brothers, let me know. I want to get them on this podcast and talk to them about it. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I'd, yeah, I would be all over that. I mean, just, I'm seeing all kinds of articles now popping up, too, where... I mean, I've, I feel like there's been a resurgence of RPGs and in D&D specifically with 5th edition anyways, but I think that show, because it's kind of, you know, it's, it's risen above just the people who are already interested. I'm seeing news reports where people are talking about going to game stores and, like, talking to people who are playing games at game stores. I saw one today was on, like, a news show. They had a reporter show up and play a session with a guy who was running a game at, like, the local library. I just, Oh, really? I just, I, yeah, I can't. Cool. I mean, it's just going to keep bringing this more and more into the forefront and hopefully make it more accessible to more people. So I'm super excited for that. Me too. Me too. Well, and you guys are a big part of that. You know, just talking, you know, uh, you, you having your podcast, talking yeah. about RPGs, and I, I love all the ancillary content you guys are coming up with. I think it's, it's awesome. So thank you so much for that. Thank you very much. Um, and thanks for coming on the, co on the show. Um, where can people check out uh, uh, the RPG Academy? Uh, well, again, the, our website's therpgacademy.com. Uh, on Facebook, Twitter, G+. Pretty much if you search The RPG Academy, it's probably going to be us. Um, and then Caleb has a separate personal Twitter account if you want to give him that, Caleb. Well, I guess if you want to find me to yell at me about something, it's uh, The Caleb G on Twitter. That's the best way to get a hold of me. Kind of like the Alley G, but Caleb G. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm not that cool, man. <laughs> You're getting there. You're getting there. I, I just wanted to use my own name 
and it was already taken. So I just threw the V in Ugh. front of it. I can't. Your name was already taken. It's not. Doesn't seem like a common name. You know, it wasn't very common when I was a kid, and then I got older, and there was the internet, and everybody has that name. Oh, so Kay- not geez. not Kalem. The whole Gio. What's your last name? <laughs> I'm Wait a minute. There's not enough uh, characters on Twitter to handle my last name. Shelley. Yeah. Oh. That's why I'm Shelly Moo. <laughs> I have the same. Oh problem. right, because Mazzanoble. Yeah. Yeah. Mazzanoble. <laughs> yeah. Also from Italy. I was just gonna say we have yeah, three Italians on this podcast right now. Yeah. Very cool. Well, we're taking over, Michael. You better hang out. <laughs> I was gonna say, can you pick out which one's not by our <laughs> accents? <laughs> We'll, we'll leave it to our listeners to find that out. But yeah. uh, great. Thank you guys so much. Uh, follow these dudes on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, start listening to their podcast. It's got a lot of great stuff on it. Thank you guys so much for having us on. I mean, again, not to gush, but D&D has been a part of my life for almost 30 years now. It's the thing I spend the most time doing other than probably just, like, breathing. <laughs> and it it's just it, – it is like – I'm I'm gushing because this is so awesome to be able to have even the small part of with the people who actually, you know, produce the content and run the company. And I mean, this is like a dream come true for me. So thank you so much. Oh, no problem, Michael. And uh, next time Anytime. you're in Seattle, let us know. And uh, uh, maybe you can come to the offices and, and, and see how where the magic actually happens. Greg has a swag closet. <laughs> so you can. I do. I have a swag Ooh. closet that I'll lock you in so, that you, <laughs> so, that, <laughs> so you can pick all the best stuff. Uh, okay. Yeah, good. I, I don't. Uh, don't have any plans, but I might have to make them based on that alone. Nice. All right, sounds good. And Caleb, you can come too, I guess. <laughs> eh, you know what? He just wouldn't tell me. He would just say, hey, I'm <laughs> going to be gone for the weekend. Take pictures and from he'd the come back it. and be like, look at what I did. That's, that's just how it happens. Where'd that's you get okay. that shirt, Michael? Oh, the swag closet. Greg <laughs> the swag closet. <laughs> I, went, I went to the uh, down under. Nice. All right, well, thanks, guys. Have a good, uh, have a good night. You too. Thanks for having us. You're Our awesome. pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Three hours of nonstop podcasting. And scene. And scene. So that was really fun talking to those guys. We gotta do the outro. What are you doing? Headphones. Headphones (laughs) fell off. Uh, I really like uh, uh, talking to people who uh, gush about. Me too. Open with that next time. If you're going to be a guest on the show, yeah, right. Let's open with that. I know it was sweet. No, he was great. Yeah, they're both great. It uh, and uh, yeah, I got a lot. Of, and it, their I, show is great. On and their, their website, job, everything's great. They just do really good de- uh, yeah. dental mastering tips, and uh, I just love that the proliferation of of people talking about it, discussing it uh, in various formats, from the live play stuff to you know podcasts yeah. to just people getting together and playing and just yeah, having these like set things even not even just for 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 D&D or RPGs but tabletop uh, board games all that stuff yeah makes me happy me too deep down in the cockles of my stomach that's yeah okay those are not words those don't make any sense yeah. Shelly what where can people uh, uh, look at at you uh, just like I'm looking at you now on the Twitters in the podcast oh no on Twitters um, no, I mean like that. You can't look at people on Twitter. They can send videos of them being like, Rrr. okay, at Shelly Moo. <laughs> That's you. Yeah, it's me. That's me. I'm at Greg Tito. Uh, you can uh, follow the Wizards account. It's at Wizards underscore DND. Always find new stuff about DungeonsandDragons.com at DungeonsandDragons.com. Right. And you <laughs> can, oh, you can follow Avalon Hill also on Twitter. 
We're they, new on Twitter, so please follow us. They need well, some thanks. some high fives, some high virtual fives. high fives on the Twitter. At Avalon Hill 2, the number two. The numeral. Numeral two. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to say the number. Yeah, so it's at Avalon Till, you know, T-H-E. <laughs> the numeral. <laughs> no, that's like, that's my Twitter handle. Yeah. The number two. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Shelly Moo, the number two. I have been hanging out with a three-year-old way too long. Nice. We're going to go home and do some potty training. That's right. All right. We love you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.